Welcome back to QAV, episode 624, recorded on the 13th of June, 2023, the day after the birthday of somebody called Mr. King. I don't know who this Mr. King is, no friend of mine, but apparently everyone down south had a holiday for him yesterday, so you must all be big fans of this Mr. King guy. Yeah, it's not even his birthday, I don't think, although we call. We just say, no, it's your birthday. Just sit back and take it. (laughs) Relax. Shut up, it's your birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't have one for it up here, so I'm working. The market's not open. That's always kind of weird. Yeah, it is, isn't it? The AFR, uh, 7 a.m. this morning, Tony, predicted a rise in the market today. Yesterday they were saying the US is in a bull market because of AI stocks, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Said the market was going to be up today. It wasn't when I looked before. It's gone up a little bit, gone up a little bit since lunch. But uh, sending the day little bit on the upside by the looks of it, but it hasn't been very exciting. It's been usual kind of uh, depressing nonsense from the market of late. I had a look yesterday when I was doing the uh, weekly report. Like it's, I think the ASX is up 6% for the year. The All Lords is up 6%, sorry, for the year. It's barely, barely moved. Was it up 16% at some stage? I think you said. The STW is up. Ah, oh, right. Actually, the all odds uh, isn't for like over a twelve-month period. It's not up for the financial year. It's up six percent because it dropped at the end of the uh, financial year last year. But if you look at it, the one year the going back 12. to mid June, it's yeah, it's pretty much a straight line. Like, and you know, in fact, over the last two years, you look at it, it's pretty much a straight line. It's gone up. It's gone down. One forward. One foot backwards. For two years now. But anyway, but one thing I did see in the AFR this morning in the same article that said the AFR, the, sorry, the ASX was going to rise, it said that oil was dropping. And when I went and had a look at the oil price about an hour or so ago, I think oil is now a sell. Would you mind uh, bringing up oil and having a look for me? See what you think? I did have a look at oil today. This is earlier on, but I'll look at it again now. And just bear in mind that we normally use Brent and the AFR will be using probably the US oil price. And US oil was a sell this morning and Brent was a buy, but I, it may have changed. Let me have a look. Well, I was looking at Brent in the uh, Stock Doctor and it's hard to draw a L2 a little bit, but I think there's one there. It's only a trough by a cent from memory. Oh, yeah, it's dropped off today. Yeah, L1, obviously, uh, March 2020, COVID cough. L2, you know, it's got a little bit of a dip at the end of May, but I don't know. It's still falling after that, so that's not really a trough. But if you go back to March 23, it closed March 23 at 79.5. It closed April at 79.51, so that makes March... Technically a trough, even though it kind of looks flat on the graph. So, yeah, I think it's a sell, which turned out not to be a big deal because I don't own any oil stocks. So it just means that we're not going to be buying any until it turns around. Yeah, I, I had to sell Karoon Energy. It wasn't because of that. It Actually, Karoon went through its sell line as well because I think probably it's more driven, could be driven more by the US oil price, which was a sell um, when I had a look this morning. Yeah, I don't seem to own Karoon or any oil stocks in any of the portfolios. I was, and it's a question I'm going to ask you a little bit later on, 
I was looking at um, Brookside, BRK, I think uh, yesterday or late last week, actually, but it doesn't matter now. <laughs> I'll talk about it anyway. <laughs> 10 is a buy, though. So bought a little bit of MLX today. MLX is on the buy list and it's in the 10 biz. Now, interestingly, I uh, when I was doing a little bit of research on tin and what could be affecting the tin price, I came across one of Tim Treadgold's articles from back in March. I know you you sort of read a bit of Timmy Treadgold from time to time. He provided a pretty pessimistic analysis of tin's prospects at the time, but uh, we don't listen to forecasts. But it was worth a, write, a read, though, because it sort of talked a little bit about what drives the tin price. And one of the things that it gets used a lot in is GPUs, CPUs and GPUs. And I was wondering if its price is on the rise at the moment because of the GPU market, which is going kind of nuts uh, because of AI at the moment. So GPUs for um, people over the age of 25, uh, graphics processing units <laughs> designed originally for gaming systems, Xbox consoles, that kind of stuff. They process graphics really quickly. Turns out they're really good for AI, chat GPT, LLMs, that kind of stuff. So they cost about, I think, uh, $10,000 a GPU, the high-end ones. And... Uh, <laughs> OpenAI and the like are buying them in the tens of thousands to run their LLM engines. So they cost a pretty penny if you want to build an LLM. If you're thinking of building your own LLM, Tony, after you buy your Apple Vision Pro, I'm sure you'll be the first person to buy an Apple Vision Pro when they come out next year. You're about the only person I know that can afford one. <laughs> Yeah, it costs you, sets you back a few billion if you want to buy the GPUs to build yourself an LLM. So, yeah, I thought that might be a thing. And NVIDIA, technically an American company, but really they're all made in Taiwan. But Their GPUs are made from, <laughs> well, yeah, they'll keep being made in Taiwan. It just depends, you know, who owns Taiwan, I think. They're made from aluminium, copper-clad laminates, glass fibers, thermal silica gel, tin, tantalum, and tungsten. According to their website, many of these materials are outsourced from suppliers in Indonesia and China. Tin, tantalum, and tungsten are conflict minerals that have been tied to funded violence slash human rights violations. That's not off their website. I got off that off another website. Particularly in Tasmania where... <laughs> Metal X is based. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah. I'm just joking. You've lost me on a lot of that stuff. So LLM, large language, Lunar Lander module, Lunar Lander module. Large language module. <laughs> large <yeah>. language. <laughs> Generative AIs are a form of, well, particularly the chat uh, versions of it, are large language models. That's how they're trained around a large language model. Okay. So you're suggesting that because the LLMs are using lots of these, I'm getting the lingo now, these graphics, GPUs, there, there you go, <laughs> uh, that tin might be on the rise, the price of tin. You'll be able to give a TED talk on it. <laughs> <right>? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Something's driving the tin price up anyway. I don't know if it's GPUs, but it's just something that, I thought when I was doing some research on it. I had a look at the article, and uh, Tim Treadgold was actually 
I think, arguing against that. He was saying that last year the price was rising because people thought it was going to get a lot of use in AI. But he, he pointed out that there was a supply imbalance and once that righted itself, the price came down and he still thought it might continue to go down from here. Again, it's it's interesting from the point of view of it. He's done a deep dive into one commodity and explained the supply chain and looked at various uh, mines which are coming online in, I think, Peru from memory, et cetera, et cetera, and um, thought the price would therefore keep dropping because there was a lot of supply. And that's the kind of analysis that is probably you know a much better predictor of price than looking at the graphs and looking at the trends. In a lot of cases, that's it's it's basic supply and demand, but commodities work that way. And I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, it might be an article I read on the weekend, but certainly one that's been around for a long time, that BlackRock, I think it is, when they got going, made a lot of money out of looking at satellite photographs of oil storage tanks and, and um, you know, the big oil storage tanks at ports around Australia and around the world have floating ceilings on them so you don't get any air in the tank. So as they get full of fuel, the ceiling rises. And they could tell from the satellite pictures that most of the storage tanks around the world, the ceilings had dropped. So there was going to have to be a restocking, which would drive the price up. And they invested in oil and rode that wave. And that's typically what someone who does a deep dive in commodities will do. They'll try and work out where is the supply demand imbalance at the moment. And uh, you know, Tim was saying it's, it's more on the supply side with Tim. Without having the ability to do that, because I know nothing about the Tim market, a lot of that stuff gets baked into the price. And so we see it in the graphs. And the, the graph is a tussle in Tim's case between people who think that AI is going to soak up lots of GPUs and need lots of tin, and the more traditional analysts who are saying, well, there's lots of tin coming on the market. So you do often see that kind of analysis baked into the price in the graphs as well. That's what I rely on anyway. So we still rely on the charts. Yeah. I certainly don't have the ability to analyze every commodity market in depth and look at satellite images for mines coming online and oil tanks where their storage is, et cetera. You have the ability. You just don't have the give a shit factor. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you could do and it. You could be wrong. You could do all that analysis and still be wrong, right? Because, you know, the day after you do it, the mine could collapse and your whole thing's thrown out the window. So who knows? As you've said many times before, if analysts and economists really knew what they were doing, they'd all be rich. Yeah. And most of them aren't, so they don't, they don't really know what they're doing. And Tim wouldn't be writing articles for Eureka Report <laughs> for a journalist wage. <laughs> I don't know. And, and no, no disrespect to Tim, I don't know him. He may well be, you know, sitting on a pile of gold and writing for fun. Who knows? Sure, sure. Like you doing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Helping you pay your back taxes. <laughs> Oh, don't bring that up. Don't depress me. Before we move on to Brookside, I wanted to let everyone know that we launched our end of financial year campaign, end of financial year promotion, call it promotion, discount, just say that, discount today. There's also a Stock Doctor EFEOFY promotion on at the moment too. So have a look at my blog post that went out today or yesterday by the time you get this. Uh, run to the end of the financial year. If you want to save some money on your on uh, signing up or upgrading your uh, club membership, or if you're I don't know thinking about becoming a member, you want to save a few bucks on us and Stock Doctor. Go check that out. Oh, sorry. Thank you for that. 
And by the way, my pulled pork today is going to be on Metals X on tin. Oh, cool. That's nice. Well, more it's going to be the tin show, the tin man. The tin man, yeah. Brookside Energy, Tony. Now, this one bamboozled me a bit. I was looking at them, as I said the other day. They were on the buy list, and in the breakdown in my Comstocks tab, I had them as listed sort of half-half LNG and crude, but one of my sheets said 51-49. The other one said 60-40. I don't know where those numbers came from or why they were different. So I went to their website and their annual report, and couldn't find a breakdown anyway on their anywhere on their revenues. They just said revenue from oil and gas, revenue from oil and gas, revenue from oil and gas. So I posted a question on Facebook. Now Richard G said, by my reading, no LNG, just oil, natural gas, and natural gas liquids like butane and propane. So they are separating the components by heating and then stripping off the lighter saleable components, but definitely no liquefied natural gas by these guys on those wells from my reading. Now, this I found interesting because I did not know that natural gas, natural gas liquids, and liquefied natural gas were in fact separate things. I just thought it was all, yeah, you get the natural gas, then you liquefy it and you sell it. Apparently. These are different things, Tony. Now, nobody knows more about natural gas than you. Uh, can you explain to me the difference between all of these? I can't. I can explain the gases, the butane and all that. They are part of the distillation process. But when I had a look to answer your question, I thought the um, the natural gas was liquid natural gas myself, which again is, is um, distilled from the refining process from oil. But it's it's generally put under pressure and transported under, in a liquid form under pressure, which ha- it has a lot more cost in the supply chain than simply uh, refining oil and putting it in a truck and taking it to a service station. What I found when I was looking at this particular company was like you, I couldn't find anything on their website in their annual report about uh, the breakup, but I did find on their uh, website a uh, broker's report, which I'll try and find for you. So it's, it's in the investors link on the Brookside website. And it's um, a broker's report. It's from the Australian Research Independent Investment Research. It's, it's literally called Australian Research and then Independent Investment Research. So I guess it's Australian Research. No, in, Independent Investment Research. Never called, never heard of them. Anyway, they've done a deep dive into Brookside. And in there on page three, there's a graph of the breakup between oil NGL, which I thought was going to be the same as natural gas, but I'll take it on notice that it's not gas, and then the total BOE barrels of energy. And that breaks it down and importantly gives a unit price. So all of these different types of distillates have um, different prices. And so what I came up with was the oil section was 54%, and the the gas and distillates were um, the rest. Let me add that in my thing for next time. So 54 for oil, which would make 46 for the gas. Yeah, but what's well, called NGL, which I assumed was natural gas, but it may not be. But certainly the other one, which is just called gas, has a different price according to this analysis. So it's not got, we can't use the LNG graph for the other half. We have to use the oil graph for this one. 
And just the last thing is that it's a the wells are in the US, so it's going to be a US price. It won't be the Brent, which is the um, the one we use in Australia. It's going to be the US crude oil price. Well, the stock doctor Brent price does say Brent crude North America. Isn't that an American price, therefore? It's an American price, but Brent crude is so all from different parts of the world has different characteristics, and Brent is typically from Australia or the or some parts of the Middle East. And US oil is different again. And these refined these oil wells that this company owns are in the US. So we need crude oil futures in stock doctor. And that's not what BRT N is? Oil Brent crude North America? No, that's that's if you were selling Brent crude using US dollars. And we want there's one I think called crude oil. And that's simply because this company is based or its its uh, oil wells are in this in the US. Yeah, so we use oil, Brent crude, North America, and I would think the most relevant one for this company is crude oil futures, which is also a sell. So they're probably not going to be too different. And so as far as uh, how we rate it in our checks, uh, we're just using oil from now on. Yep, it's a sell. Okay. Well... Because I want to drive up the price of tin, I went to ChatGPT and I asked it to tell me the difference between LNG, natural gas, and natural gas liquids. And here's what it said. Natural gas, LNG, and natural gas liquids, NGLs. It's funny, when my kids write NGL, it's not going to lie. NGL, I'm feeling like shit today. NGL. Oh, never heard that. Are all related components of the oil and gas? Alex probably doesn't use hip lingo like that. She's too educated. <laughs> My boys dropped out of uni, so they speak, you know, Gen Z speak. Uh, all related components of the oil and gas industry, but they have some important differences. One, natural gas. This is a fossil fuel formed from plants and animals that lived millions of years ago. It is primarily composed of methane, but can also contain small amounts of other hydrocarbons such as ethane, propane, and butane, propane and propane accessories, white vapor, and various other gases. That's a King of the Hill reference for anyone who's never watched that. It is primarily used as a fuel, Mike Mike Judge show, Mike Judge, creator of Beavers and Butthead and Silicon Valley and Office Space and um, Idiocracy. Very funny guy, Mike Judge. Primarily used as a fuel for heating, cooking, and electricity generation. Natural gas is often found in reservoirs beneath the Earth's surface, and it can be extracted through drilling. Two, liquefied natural gas, LNG. This is a natural gas that has been cooled down to liquid form for ease and safety of non-pressurized storage or transport. When natural gas is cooled to a temperature of approximately minus 162 degrees Celsius, it condenses into a liquid. In its liquid state, it takes up much less volume than in its gaseous state, around 600 times less, which makes it economical for storage and transportation over long distances where pipelines may not be feasible. Once it arrives at its destination, it is regasified, there's a great word, and distributed as natural gas. Three, natural gas liquids, NGLs, not going to lie. These are hydrocarbons in the same family of molecules as natural gas and oil that are often found alongside dry natural gas, methane, in wells. While the terms natural gas and NGL are often used interchangeably, they are distinctly different. NGLs are heavier compounds that remain liquid at room temperature, including ethane, propane, butane, isobutane, and pentane. NGLs are valuable as separate products 
and they are therefore often separated from natural gas and used in a variety of products, including plastics, heating appliances, and as additives in motor gasoline. In summary, natural gas primarily refers to methane gas, while LNG is that same gas cooled to a liquid state, and NGLs are the heavier, liquid at room temperature hydrocarbons often found alongside natural gas. So, therefore, I would assume that natural gas and LNG are the same thing. In different states. A, ChatGPT could be lying to me. So if Richard or anyone else listening to this who actually (laughs) knows what's going on could explain that to us at some point, that would be handy, seeing as Tony apparently isn't the expert on the topic that I thought he would be, having worked for Shell for a long time. Yeah, well, natural gas or LNG was just coming in as I was leaving. It was becoming a big thing. That's funny. Normally when you enter a room, gas (laughs) natural gas enters. Well, it was there, but (laughs) Uh, I left. Didn't get the blame. (laughs) Well, Brookside Energy is uh, crude's a cell now, so it's just a cell anyway. All right, Steve Mab, we need to clarify something. So last week, we uh, I brought up a point that Stephen Mab, chairman of the ASA, made about maybe putting our cash when we're sitting on cash into some of these ETFs, so at least it's earning for us. And he sent us this email during the week. Just listen to this week's episode. As a point of clarification, I suggested AAA as a way to improve your returns when you have cash in the portfolio. Why? Because AAA has funds in major Australian banks at the 30 BBSW rate. They're not bonds, it's cash in the bank, albeit through a third party. So it's close to investing your cash in your own bank account, albeit they don't get the $250,000 government guarantee. The interest rate is now over 4% paid monthly, which is why the price drops by that much each month when it goes ex-div. It wasn't that much 12 months ago, of course, before the RBA started lifting rates, and they charge a 0.18 management fee that comes out of the price automatically. Whether you want to do that or you trust beta shares is your call, but for me, it's better than taking a couple of days at a time to transfer cash to and from a broking account from your own bank account versus being able to access it in seconds by selling AAA to buy something else. TBIL is short-term US treasuries and is subject to currency swings, so maybe not as good as AAA security-wise. I believe this is what Buffett parks Berkshire's cash in, the T-bills, not the Aussie ETF, of course. Thanks, Steve. So 4% paid monthly is less than 0.18%, is better than a poke in the eye with a blunt stick. How does that change your view of putting our cash into these AAA ETFs when we're stuck in cash, Tony, from what you said last week? Yeah, well, perhaps it does. Um, so thanks, Steve, for clarifying that. I, I'm not familiar with these at all. couple of things is that 4% is the annual yield, so paying it monthly is not going to be a big amount. Really? It's not monthly? It's annual? One-twelfth of 4%, yeah. I mean, it would be a lot to pay monthly, wouldn't it? Yeah, you'd be getting 48% annually if you, if you got 4% monthly. Oh, that's why I got excited. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one twelfth of 4%. Yeah. It's nothing to sneeze at, I guess, but it's been going up recently. So if you look at the last 12 months, it's only about two and a half percent, 2.6%, I think, if you annualize all the monthly payments. It is substantial now. 4% per annum is pretty good. So thanks for that, Steve. And if Steve uses them, a couple of questions. What's the timing of the purchase, particularly with a short term? If you have a short term holding of cash, so it's only going to be in there for a couple of weeks. 
you could still not get a dividend and face a drop potentially in the in the share price. Or does Steve wait until it's paid a dividend and put the money in and hold it there for at least a month? Or does he buy just before it gets paid as a dividend? I'm, I'm not quite sure how it's going to work if you're doing it short term. But look, yeah, if, you, if you're getting 4% per annum and we have cash sitting there for 12 months, it's worth doing because that's 4%. Yeah, it's unlikely we're going to have cash sitting there for four for a year, right? I mean, it, no. it's usually a couple of weeks, maybe lately, uh, you know, a month or so. But So you're getting... 4% divided by 12, which is too hard for my brain to work out, but... Uh, 0.0375 or something like that. Right. A month. Yeah. So better than nothing, particularly if you've got a lot of money. Yeah. So thanks, Steve, for pointing that out. It uh, makes more sense now. And just for people, the BBSW is, or the 30 BBSW is the bank bill, bank bill swap rate for 30 days which is basically the the rate that the banks all agree to lend them, lend each other money over a 30-day period, which is usually the RBA rate plus a margin. Glad you explained that because my dirty mind went somewhere completely different with BBSW. <laughs> so I'm glad that uh, you pulled my brain out of the gutter, Tony. Yeah, so thanks, Steve. Well, can try it. It does seem to have limited downside as a risk. Um, I think the only risk we, I can see now is just timing it if we put money in for two weeks and the share price moves around waiting for another dividend. We might pull it out at slightly less or slightly more than we put it in for, but it won't be material, I don't think. All right. Well, I'll start doing that. And if it goes wrong, we'll blame Steve. (laughs) I saw this article in The Fin late last week. Artificial intelligence powers US shares into a bull market. This is what I mentioned earlier. Surging enthusiasm for technology giants building consumer products based on artificial intelligence catapulted the US benchmark S&P 500 into a technical bull market on Thursday. On Friday, the blue chip bellwether index was up more than 20% from its lows and at its highest level since August since the tech-heavy NASDAQ index chasing seven straight weeks of gains to sort of 27.4% year-to-date, heavyweight technology darlings including Google Parent Alphabet, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Adobe, and Facebook owner Meta have all jumped as investors bet the companies can build more valuable products using AI. Unfortunately, we don't have any AI plays in Australia of that caliber that I'm aware of. We probably have some small companies that are playing around the edges with AI, but nobody who's going to really play on the scale of those companies. But it's interesting. Like I was just going to ask if these sorts of, um, I guess this is a, a black swan, but in a positive sense. I mean, six months ago, nobody really saw AI as being something that was going to push the US into a bull market. All of a sudden, it's just seemingly come out of nowhere. It hasn't really. I mean, all of those companies have been working on AI behind the scenes for, well, forever in Microsoft's case. But in this LLM sense, LLM started to become a thing in AI research circles in 2015. So it's been eight years they've been building this uh, functionality behind the scenes. Just uh, from an investing perspective, Tony, when these sorts of things drive the US market up, do you expect to see uh, a lift in the Australian market as well? I know when the UF, when the US market collapses, we collapse. When the US market booms, do we boom? Uh, I think in very, very broad terms, yes, but I don't think we will in this case because 
did see some analysis. If you back out those companies, the tech companies, the large-scale tech companies, the US market's gone nowhere, much like ours. So I think we're following the US market ex-tech because we don't have any, well, any large-scale tech in Australia, as you've said. And that'll be that's a bad thing and a good thing. It's a bad thing right now because the Nasdaq's up 27%, but maybe a good thing when people move on to the next thing or the bubble burst with um, AI stocks. May not, but if it, history unfolds the way it always has, it will, and it'll fall spectacularly. Well, you know, if, if history plays out, what I expect to see over the next year is uh, hundreds of billions of dollars of venture capital being spent on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of AI-based startups. You'll have the pets.com of AI, and, you know, there'll just be a ton of hype, a ton of money everywhere flying around crazy and yeah a lot of money will be made and a lot of those will go belly up 98 99 of those startups will get trade sold as a quick exit at some point or will just collapse and a couple will make it and, you know survive and every slide deck of every powerpoint presentation from now on slide one will say what we're doing with ai <laughs> yeah how we're using ai how we're benefiting from ai just like, you know, a few years ago, it was all agile, agile development. We're an agile company. <laughs> yeah. Every brand will just tack AI onto the name yeah. of the brand. Dot AI. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It will have, as we've talked about before, meaningful impacts on the on the world and productivity and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, from an investing point of view, it's another bubble that we've seen a hundred, if not a thousand times before. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, you know, while he's not, we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. 
QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.